c'est vrai. Je suis un ananas. Now, in the uh, towers of uh, Edmonton... I'm not a Tory. I don't speak on both sides. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. Welcome back to Fat, French, and Fabulous. This our second episode on the mystery of Room 1046. I'm Jessica. And I'm Janelle for the 25th consecutive year. Whoop, whoop. Woohoo. You know, if there's one thing I admire about you, it's your consistency. You are Janelle and you continue to be Janelle. That's basically all I've got, to be honest. You've got a real commitment to character. And nothing else. <laughs> I don't know. We're like this is this will be our twenty second episode of this podcast, so I feel like I'm yeah. doing pretty well with that. I haven't um changed my name and deleted all my social media accounts and ghosted from this podcast, so <laughs> despite the many awful, awful things you've things you've said, you've really committed to your full blown, full blown descent from grace. <laughs> oh, uh like Prime Minister is out as a career for me. I've just accepted Absolutely that. not. Yeah. At this point, I think like <laughs> local city council is probably out too. School board is out too. Yeah. Just nothing. Just nothing. Just nothing. Nothing that involves running in an election. Nothing can you elected. Imagine, can you imagine if lines for this podcast were played across like soaring music in a political ad? <laughs> there would be swooning. <laughs> Pearls would be clutched. <laughs> I would probably be banned from like public swimming pools and playgrounds after that, to be honest. So You'd probably be banned from entire municipalities. <laughs> I think it's better I just like not draw attention to myself for the rest of my life for fear that somebody will hear me talk about toddler cock rings. <laughs> which is a topic I wasn't gonna bring up again, but it is one of my finest, I think. <laughs> It is a spectacular, shining moment in your history. In your oeuvre. <laughs> That's a good word. I'm very fond of it. I'm also fond of ennui. But as you've previously discussed, you hate it when I say that. Or what's that angst? No, that's not me. It's angst. Angst is me. Eh, it's angst. Are you cheating on me with me. other people who hate the way you say things? Uh, no, just other people who also hate the th- way I- who hate the exact same things that I- that you also hate. I feel like it's still emotional cheating. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It is with my roommate, so- Linguistic cheating, I guess? Linguistic cheating. In any case, you're the other woman. <laughs> <laughs> I can live with Me and that. my roommate, we have a- we have a depth of feeling. We have a connection. That's true. And you know, I would think that, like, my first long-term- intentional roommate situation with another independent adult i wouldn't have thought it would have inc- would have included this much random three in the morning political discussions or this much wailing at each other like distressed penguins that's an important part of any roommate relationship i find yeah it's like i didn't expect that let de- that level of intimacy truly beautiful connection that we, he and i have <laughs> that we share when you and your roommate inevitably get married for tax and or legal purposes, <laughs> I will be at your wedding and I will bring you six ladles and a live fish. It just it just seems We're looking like forward to it. That's just it just seems like the appropriate gift. <laughs> We're already planning the invitations. <laughs> I assume it'll just be like one of those cards that you open and it plays a little tune, except it'll just be a long scream and then there will be no further information. And I'll just look into the sky and I will know. Yep. 
<laughs> You'll just like beam a fucking bat signal into the sky on the night yeah. of the wedding and we'll just know to congregate. It'll be great. Yeah. yeah. Well, you'll just open it up and it'll like, there'll be a shriek that is both inaudible and yet bladder shattering and, ho- and, and unholy. <laughs> as long as there's an open bar, I'm pretty much there. I mean, anything for you, babe. <laughs> We've made it weird. We've made it weird. <laughs> All right. Well, this is one of the I, few. I- huh? I, I am a non-moralizing Tia Toller, so I will absolutely consent to an open bar. <laughs> That's good. You're willing to enable, just not imbibe. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to do whatever else it is I do. Fuck shit up. Bathe yeah. in public fountains. Your favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind what other people drink, because it makes my behavior seem normal. <laughs> Excellent. Well, this is one of the few times we've ever gotten our shit together for a two-part podcast, where Ooh. we've actually made it into two parts on purpose and not just randomly cut it in the middle when editing. <laughs> because We're there's normally... people. We are. There's normally this, like, you know, I think our listeners have come to expect this delightful preamble to all of our podcasts. And when we do a two-part, you're normally just dropped right into the middle of it. Yeah, on the second half. Just talking about murder. Murder. But I mean we're we're still talking about murder this time, actually. We're gonna we're gonna get yeah. right back into that. So many murder. Well, just one murder. This was if you know, it's it's been a week, but um or if you're like marathoning this at a later date, I guess it's been two minutes, but <laughs> however long it took you to get some popcorn. <laughs> Pretty much. Do people get popcorn for a podcast? I mean fuck it, you I can do it. I have no want. idea. I've, I haven't got a clue. You can eat whatever you want when you listen to podcasts. Yeah, Popcorn. And no one can watch you and no one can judge. Live eels. Unless you're on the bus. <laughs> Don't eat live eels on the bus. Do not eat live eels on the bus. They're endangered. Are they? And also smelly. <laughs> it's that one that upsets me. <laughs> Part of the unspoken rules of urban or urban transport is don't eat fish. <laughs> oh, God. Don't eat fish. Don't eat garlic. Preferably just as li- the least odorous options possible. Eating a stranger's child, however, is welcome and encouraged. <laughs> Go for it. Those little fuckers never shut up on the bus. Yeah. In fact, it's going to be a relief to everyone involved, including the parents. <laughs> I was on a bus the other just day. Just unhinge your jaw and let it let and let go. <laughs> yep, I was on a bus the other day. Um, just a crosstown bus. And this kid was, like, running up and down the aisles, just shrieking her head off. Just actual screams. Not words, just screams. This is maybe a four or five-year-old. And the mom- Probably she was inviting you to her wedding. <laughs> what? Oh, okay. Reference to three minutes ago. I know, but, like- Fox Janelle. She's five. I'm fine with scream invitations. I'm not fine with child marriage. But children are always planning their weddings. True. True, but in any case, her mom was having absolutely none of this, so after about, like, seven laps of the bus, her mom just calls her back to the end of the bus where her mom was sitting and just fucking backhands her. <laughs> just just a public child slap. It was good. It was good stuff. And you're just like, I normally don't approve of corporal punishment or child abuse, but, no, uh, but in this case, I'm kind of okay with this. <laughs> I mean, whatever works, right? Who am I to tell other people how to parent their children on a moving bus? <laughs> Not my area of expertise. Mm, if your kid gets no arrested, idea. call me. That's my area of expertise. <laughs> um, that explicitly. Oh, yeah. So, um, back to murder, speaking of arrests. Mm. Uh, so, where we left off, Roland T. Owen had been found mostly dead in his hotel room. He later became mm. fully dead. 
he was he was in transition. He was in the cocoon of crusty blood to the butterfly of death. Oh. I was I was just going to say he was real fucked up. <laughs> he looked real bad. I'm being metaphorical. <laughs> so, uh well in this metaphor, he has uh, a fractured skull, repeat stab wounds to the chest, and strangulation related injuries. So Just like a butterfly. That's Nature is beautiful <laughs> and horrifying. Um, so when he was found, he claimed that he fell against the bathtub, which is, I mean, I don't normally get repeated stab wounds to the chest, including a punctured lung when I fall in the bathtub. But yeah, like, maybe I'm, I'm not here doing to it wrong. cast aspersions or doubts on your personal lived experience, but uh, doubt it. <laughs> I'm not here to bathtub accident shame, but no, doubt. Doubt. Very much doubt. <laughs> So, he passed away in the early hours of January 5th, 1935, before they could ask him more questions about what the fuck had happened. Um, and when he was examined post-mortem, the doctors estimated that the wounds had been inflicted about seven to eight hours before he was discovered. Which, based on the crustiness of the blood on him and at the scene. Mm. So, that's forensics in 1935. Yeah, like, you're not going to get a lot more information from the blood other than, like, its consistency and color. It's crustiness. They can't really tell you more than that. No, I like they had. This is literally the early days of blood typing, mm-hmm. because blood typing was only a thing that we really nailed down in the early 1910s, and mm-hmm. we were still kind of implementing it. We sort of realized that, like, sometimes when you give people blood, they live, and sometimes they die horribly. Who can tell? Who knows? No. Yeah. So, like, if if you get like, oh yeah, the murderer was O positive, like that tells you nothing. That's no, like 30% of the population. That's me. <laughs> it could have been yeah. me. Mm. If it's if it's if it's O negative, uh then then that's 4% of the population and I should be suspicious. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> now many strangers know our blood types. Yay! <laughs> Excellent. So that was all the the strangeness that happened around the deaths, but if you thought that the actual death itself was strange, like, shit only gets weirder from here. So, to recap, Owen was found stark fucking naked. Just mm-hmm. dong fully out. Which is not how <laughs> I want to be found. Ready to party. <laughs> well, I mean, the man had a punctured lung. <laughs> and was, I mean, he was tied up, so who are we to judge? I mean, on the bright side, Janelle, you are never going to be found dead that way. Because you don't have a cock to be a have out. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, technicalities. <laughs> Look on the bright side. <laughs> Always a silver lining. The silver no, we'll lining. Have to look at your horrifying penis. Hooray! Life as a female is worth living. <laughs> All the street I mean, harassment not in the was 30s, worth it. But <laughs> excellent. It's a trade-off. On the one hand, I'm constantly harassed and make far less than my male counterparts. On the other hand, no I'm not constantly penis. horrified when I take off my pants. <laughs> what is that? Oh god, it's it's fine. It's, <laughs> that's what that's my impression of life as a man: just cutting mm-hmm. your face every morning, and then every time you take your pants off, being like, "Oh god, what the fuck is that?" I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Could be, wrong. <laughs> could be wrong. So when police searched the hotel room, they pretty really quickly realized that something was up because there was literally nothing in the room. Mm. All of Owen's clothes were gone. All of them. His shirt, his pants, his shoes, even his socks. They were all gone from the room, and they were not on his body, so I don't know where the okay. fuck his clothes went. 
where did his pants go? We don't know. That's never been <laughs> did solved. Did they leave without him? <laughs> <laughs> they went to party. He didn't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> Owen's outfit knew how to party. Um, no, we See, don't know. That just reminds me of uh, of working at a li- at the library. And you'd, what? You'd occasionally- what? <laughs> working at a library in Grand Prairie, Alberta, you would just occasionally find pairs of pants. They'd have nobody in them, oh. and it was the middle of winter. <laughs> oh. That's actually true. I also worked at a public library for several years because Jessica and I are similar in ways that are weird mm. and statistically unlikely. And there's, yeah, there's a surprising amount of public nudity at yeah. a public library. My very yeah, first like, day- I understand when people lose coats, but pants? No, my, my very first day- one of my coworkers is taking me on the tour of the library, and we get up to the adult computers, and there's just a man masturbating at one of the public yep. computers. Just, just cock out, just, just <laughs> going for it, just having a good time, <laughs> doing some aerobics. And she was just like getting his heart rate well up. <laughs> oh yeah, that was his daily exercise. And she's just like, George, stop it. And he's like, oh. And she's Come like, on. yeah, she's just like, oh, he's one of our masturbators. I'm like, what do you mean, like one of our masturbators? We have a fucking flock of masturbators. Yeah, what is? Do they what live is in the, the rafters? Possessive, what is the possessive pronoun? They're not our masturbators. They're just masturbators. Did we order them? Are they ours? Do they like? <laughs> Do they live come the, with barcodes as well? Do they live in the elevator shaft and come out at night? Like what? <laughs> what is this? And then like we also had. On, like, a less horrifying note, we had, like, an old lady with dementia that used to wander into the library because she lived nearby, and mm. they didn't keep a good eye on her, I guess. And she was she was a slippery lady, and she would just sort of, like, come to the library and take off all of her clothes, because in her state, that was what she was thought she had yeah, to do. Yeah. And every time you saw her doing this, you were just, you just go up to her and be like, Deborah, we wear pants in the library. And she would look at you, and she'd be like... Oh. oh, okay then. And then she would just get dressed and she'd leave. Oh, that's that's excellent. At least yeah. she that's that's good. Good on you, Deborah. It was part of the training. They're like, if you see following instructions, if you see a naked lady, a naked elderly woman wandering the library, they're like, you just remind her that we wear pants in the library. It'll be fine. It's good. There you go. Good on you, kid. Now the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> Less important, as it turned out. Then all Less the vital. <laughs> yeah. They, we, they trained us on how to, like, spot syringes anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's good. That's that's a mm. skill you put on a resume. I can spot syringes and deal with just public masturbation. Yeah, there was, there was a general rule because, like, all of my coworkers were slight, shy, demure uh, teenage girls. Oh. There, there was a certain rule about like going in pairs to the regular masturbation hotspots around the library. Just <laughs> <laughs> to be certain. I mean, in fairness, the like dealing with unexpected erect penis has been a better life skill to me than alphabetizing. It's been more vi- valuable and easier to ver- to diversify into other into other areas of life. It generalizes nicely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, there was, so back to our, our naked man, that the only thing in the room that resembled clothing was the label from a necktie. They don't even know if it was his necktie. Some of the reports I found said that it was his necktie. Some of them said that it could be the killer's necktie. I don't know why he would just leave it the label be anybody's behind necktie. anybody's necktie. Um, if you're curious, it was from a company called Botany Worsted Mills Company based in New Jersey. Ooh, I'll take that as a recommendation. 
I don't know that it still exists. I didn't. I wasn't that thorough this week. <laughs> <laughs> That's not something you saw coming. No, I oh. I didn't realize I would need to make a Thai company recommendation from 1935. <laughs> but if I do, I'm set. I'm a big fan of the classics. <laughs> there was also no sign of a murder weapon, which was sort of unusual. There was no knives, oh. there was no sharp implements. So they kind of, <laughs> astute detectives that they were, they ruled out suicide pretty quickly. Yeah. Based like- on the missing clothes and weapon and the fact that he his wrists were bound, which is very difficult to do to yourself. Excellent detective work. Yeah, solid. A+. Also, the hotel soap, shampoo, and towels were missing, but in fairness, that is also true of several hotel rooms that I have stayed at. So, mm. you know, I'm going <laughs> to give him that suspicious? one. Is it suspicious? I don't know. <laughs> I like to think that the murderer was just, like, emptying the room of his clothing and weapons and then was like, you know what? I'm going to take this. I'm going to take these I'm gonna towels. I'm going to help myself. <laughs> <laughs> They're complimentary. That means you can have them. <laughs> mm, shampoo, yes. Towels, no. <laughs> They're for the guests to use, right? <laughs> that doesn't mean complimentary. <laughs> the same is true of public swimming pools, but you can't just take those. <laughs> I like to think that you just have a basement full of like playground equipment you've stolen over the years because it's public. <laughs> It's meant for everyone, right? It's public property. I'm the public. (laughs) Goes in my basement. Yep. (laughs) Perfect. So the only things found in the room were a hairpin, a safety pin, an unlit cigarette, an unopened bottle of diluted sulfuric acid, and two drinking glasses. One of the drinking glasses- Yeah, so that's a real inventory. His toothpaste was gone, I guess. And his hairbrush. Whatever shall he do? I mean, he's dead. He has no real need of those, but- (laughs) If he were not dead, he would be very inconvenienced. Oh my gosh, certainly. Have... Is his comb still there? D- no, there's just just the hairpin and safety pin and the cigarette and, and the, the acid. acid. Yeah, that was a bit of a head scratcher. And the glasses. I know hmm. they had unusual hygiene ret- rituals back in the day, but I'm assuming that sulfuric acid was not a skincare product? No, I would assume not. So that's odd. Like, So they, someone at some point took... Everything that he had brought with him, but left other things? Yeah, it's like a take a penny, leave a penny, except it's take everything mm. you own, leave a hairpin. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> take a hairbrush, leave an unlit cigarette. <laughs> take toothpaste, leave sulfuric acid. Yeah, it was a return mm. to the uh, generosity barter economy. Mm-hmm. The only other thing were two drinking glasses. So one of them was broken in the sink and had a shard missing from it. The second one was on a shelf over the sink, so that's not an interesting drinking glass. But the other one's broken, mm. so. There was also four- Broken, s- missing a shard. Yeah, they never really found the shard either. I don't know why you would take all the shit and be like, and I want that piece of broken drinking glass. Mm. Fuck you. Excellent. Fuck you. So they found Somebody four- Somebody does not follow the honor system of checking into a hotel. <laughs> breaking- I mean, they they left most of the glass. True. True. <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily in the spirit, but it definitely, or even the letter of the law. I don't know. Can you take? No, I don't know. I don't. I don't think they have rules about this. We're, no, we're, we're all the beyond. rules are unwritten. There's also rules against murder, so I think that's kind of the primary concern here. The yeah, hotel I towel theft is terrible, but I think we're gonna go with the dead guy as our top priority. Yeah, like we'll 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 minimize that. We'll get back to it later after we solve this murder. We'll, we're coming we'll for those on, fucking towels. We're coming for the towels. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so there were four small fingerprints found in the room, possibly from a woman, just based on the size, not based on any sort of detective work, mm. on the glass top of the telephone stand. And that's pretty much it for forensic evidence. Um, yeah. They never really found a match for those. Yeah, and we also have no idea when they were left there. Like, how often do people touch touch the top of the telephone stand? Like, yeah. You can't exactly tell when fingerprints are left. And I mean, and it's a hotel room. Yeah, people are in and out. There's cleaning staff, yeah. there's other staff. People touch shit all the time. And the person who was in the room before was a woman. Yeah, people are just disgusting. Yeah. That's gross. the lesson here. We're just gross. We just leave our oils yeah, like, and skin that's... everywhere. That's one of the reasons why you have to wear gloves sometimes when you're touching, like, really old manuscripts. It's just because your body is constantly excreting disgusting fluids that will literally erode everything you touch. It's the same reason you just shouldn't touch anything on the New York City subway. Yeah, because it will erode you. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> I have it a... will take off your fingerprints. <laughs> I have a friend who's incredibly tiny and athletic, and if there's... If she's on a New York City subway and there's not too many people in the car, instead of sitting on a seat, she will literally just dangle from her knees from the bars above, <laughs> which is a sight. Yeah, she just she just rides as like that. As close as you can get to hovering. <laughs> yeah, just upside down, hanging by her knees from the handbar. That's kind of... Mm. I know some fun people. You do know some fun people. You'll have to introduce me. <laughs> Delightful. That sounds exciting. Oh, we're so getting banned from the MTA. Mm, we are. <laughs> that, that's not a good thing. Which is a shame. She's like, yeah, because I need it to get to school every day. <laughs> it's less inconvenient for you. You'll be here for a week. Yeah, I don't know. It has a sort of stark crossed lovers aspect to it. You and the Metro don't Transit Authority? Me. Oh, Metro Transit Authority. <laughs> separated by time and space. The distance between us only makes my heart grow fonder. And also by the fact that one of you is a human and one of you is a system of trains and buses. Don't deny our love, Janelle. <laughs> this got weird. <laughs> <laughs> I like trains. <laughs> this has been made abundantly clear. So, the police questioned a 30-year-old woman named Jean Owen, who was of no relation to Roland T. Owen, for reasons that will mm. soon become painfully obvious, who had also been staying on the 10th floor of the hotel. Jean lived in a nearby town and had driven into Kansas City to go shopping and to meet her boyfriend, Joe, who worked at a flower shop in the city. And while she was shopping, she started to feel sick and told her boyfriend that she, was going, she wasn't feeling well enough to go out that evening. They had plans. Mm. She canceled them. God damn it, Jean. She decided that she was going to get a hotel room in town and stay the night so she could avoid having to drive home until the morning, because again, not feeling Very so hot. Very responsible. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah. Um, so she checked into the pres hotel president at 6 o'clock, and by 6.50 she called Joe to let him know that she was in room 1048, so she was right near the room in question. Mm -hmm. um, so he came by at around 9.30, and he left at 11.30 p.m., because the thought of a couple of unmarried 30-year-olds spending the night together would give people- My goodness. They can't give anyone the vapors now, can they? More scandalous than seeing a man's nipples. Oh, God. The mere implication that a man, an adult man, and an adult woman might share a something other than brief eye contact <laughs> in a private room completely unchaperoned. Heavens. My goodness. I do feel faint. <laughs> to the fainting couch. <laughs> Hold me, Reginald. 
<laughs> Again, it's got weird. Um, <laughs> so after her scandalous lover had left at a prompt 11.30pm, mm. keeping her chastity intact, uh, Jean reported to the police that she heard a great deal of noise throughout the night. She said that she heard men and women talking and cursing, and she had considered calling the front desk to complain, but then she decided not to. Probably because women mm. were a passive bunch. Yeah, um, don't want to be too confrontational. My god. <laughs> Complaining to the front desk? Am I some kind of Heaven harlot? Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. She said that she heard a man and a woman arguing, and then gasping sounds that she assumed were snores. I don't know what the fuck they snored like in 1935. <laughs> But I have very rarely so encountered snoring that I would describe as a repeated gasping sound. Hmm. I wonder if that is man is snoring. Or maybe he has a punctured lung. No, no, definitely snoring. That's what an adult man... That's why you need to have men and women sleeping together more often. Because she clearly yes. did not know what fucking snoring sounded like. <laughs> Just had no conception what a sleeping man sounds like. <laughs> That's what men sound like when they sleep, apparently. Uh, <coughs> that actually, that hurt a lot. Oh my oh god. Oh my gosh. It, it hurts. It hurts a lot. <laughs> Gasping hurts. <laughs> this is what we've learned. I actually have um, one friend who does snore like this, sort of in fairness to Jean. Um, one of my friends from marching band, we were on a trip to Dartmouth? So we're in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And um, we were all kind of crashed out on the same floor and one of my friends was like, okay, keep an eye on this girl after she goes to sleep because we're all 90% sure she has sleep apnea. And I'm like, this is, mm. this is a 21-year-old college student. There's no way she has sleep apnea. And like, sure enough, like in the middle of the night, I hear like, <gasps> yeah. <gasps> I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's that's how she sleeps. So, I mean, it could have been yeah, just that's... unmedicated sleep apnea. It was 1935. Mm. I assume if you got sleep apnea, it was you just died. Yeah. Yeah, like... My father had really bad sleep apnea, so we had to, like, hook a mask to his face during the night, because otherwise he would stop breathing, like, a horrifying number of times per hour. <laughs> I assume your father hooked his own mask. It just sounds like you guys snuck in after he fell asleep <laughs> and just wrestled it on there. Well, sometimes, sometimes the mask, the seal would come, like, would come loose. Then just it would just make high-pitched squealing on. sounds all night. <laughs> like, it's like... <sighs> <laughs> oh, our parents love that we have this podcast. They love it. I don't tell nearly enough embarrassing stories about my parents, but I'm, I'll dig some up for the next you episode. You should, you should. Oh, Get they've, revenge. They've Get back. Some, they've got some good ones. So police initially held Jean Ewen for questioning, but they released her after Joe confirmed her story, because we can't trust anything a woman says mm. until a we man confirms a, it. We must have an entirely unrelated man who was never there <laughs> to vouch for your vouch staff your honesty i mean i guess corroboration's good but yeah they released yeah. her after they talked to him so pretty early in the investigation and this is getting into why gene owen is of no relation they figured out that the name roland t owen was pure bullshit pretty early on yeah an alias if you remember from the episode that you listened to either a week ago or half an hour ago Roland T. Owen claimed that he was from Los Angeles, but when they called the LAPD, there was no record of any man named Roland T. Owen living in the area. So way to pick a shitty pseudonym, dude. Mm. If you pick a name that does not exist in a city the size of Los Angeles, you suck. 
Yeah. And names. Just, Although, it was a bit smaller then. Still, just pick your, your John Smith. Yeah. That's like, your don't story. give yourself a middle initial. What are you, James Kirk? <laughs> like... You know, keep the T out of it. Just... I like to think that it did stand for Tiberius. <laughs> Roland right? Tiberius Owen. Ro- like, like he's like, like he's from the he's 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 visiting the past accidentally due to a mistake in space time. People are like, <laughs> oh, what's your name? My name is Roland T. Owen. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I'm here is... to take a room. Explain why he didn't have any, uh, why he didn't have anything on him. <laughs> yeah, this is this is my favorite Star Trek episode. It's this lighthearted one where they visit 1935, to, you know, they follow the Prime Directive, and then James T. Kirk gets brutally stabbed to death in a hotel room. <laughs> in a murder that real... goes unsolved for a hundred years. Yeah, it was a real, it was a real classic. You know, they just don't make them like that anymore. I oh, mean, yeah. the production value was terrible, but it was so fun. <laughs> oh yeah, all this lighthearted stuff about shooting lasers and sleeping with green women. Yeah, it's just it's just the one where he gets stabbed to death with a shard of broken glass. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you find that way too funny. Way too funny. Um so the Kansas City Stars Photo Lab, that is a that's a newspaper. I don't know why they're the ones doing this, but the Kansas City mm. Stars Photo Lab use their brand new photo wire service Ooh. to send Owen's fingerprints to the Justice Department's Bureau of Investigation, which was the agency that would become the FBI. Um mm. and overnight, which was exciting. Oh. You can send pictures overnight. You know how fucking exciting fax machines were when those became a thing? Hot damn. They were that used to be cutting edge. That was the shit. Technology. That was the shit. And then I can send this and emo- like mere minutes later someone else across the country can be looking at it with their own eyes. My Magic. god. Magic. I uh, yeah, it was it was revolutionary and I mean I worked at Staples a couple of years ago and somebody asked me to send a fax and I just stared at it and I think my supervisor <laughs> cried real tears. <laughs> I don't know how the fuck to send a fax. Like, you're pointing me towards an old school phone with a piece of paper and you're telling me send, like, can't I just scan it? Why does this still exist? Why am I sending a goddamn fax? Yeah, the internet exists now. God, old technology is bullshit. Um, It is. So the story was front page news in the region and the papers immediately began reporting that the police assumed Roland T. Owen was a false name. So... Once the story got out, people immediately became coming forward in droves to see if Roland T. Owen was a missing loved one. Mm. So this was long before the days of Facebook. So it wasn't entirely uncommon for disillusioned young people to sort of get on a train and take off somewhere. And unless you had the money to hire private investigators and fund them, there was no way to track them down. Mm -hmm. People would just disappear from your life and never, you'd never see them again. Like my great aunt. What? We've discussed this before. Oh, I have a yeah. missing great aunt. You do have a missing great aunt. <laughs> God, your family's weird. My family are weird but accounted for. Mm. Not you. No. Um, People just go missing. That's Usually because the spaceships come for them. Yeah, in your family, that's the case. They have to go back to tend to the motherland. Um, <laughs> the mothership returns and they go back to their home planet. The rest of us just sort of end up dead in ditches. Or Mm. hotel rooms. As the case may be. Exactly. And back in 1935, if, you know, your disillusioned young son decided that he wanted to go 
chased some tail a few states over and you moved, he might not have any way to find you again. Mm-hmm. So people were very good at getting separated. So any reports of any unidentified dead person or any unidentified human would turn up just hundreds and hundreds of tips from desperate loved ones. Mm-hmm. So the first night of the investigation, a woman called the hotel president and asked for a description of the dead man, which is just a thing you could do. You could just call the police and be like, hey, do you want to describe him to me? Yeah. You just take a look at him and just 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 a rough like rough perspective just you know give me a hint um and when she got the description she said that owen was actually a man who lived in clinton missouri and this was the first of many many bullshit bogus tips Mm. so the police people are not smart and have never been smart Um, no so they're still not smart they're still not smart but they were less smart back then there was there was Mm. a lot less education and a lot more lead we're getting smarter all the time but it's a slog less and less lead that's mm. that's really been a big part of this. We ionize our salt. We mostly don't actively consume lead and mercury. We're getting there. Mm. Um, so people in 1935, the good lead-eating people of the United States, were sending in vague descriptions of loved ones without photos, which is completely unhelpful. It's especially useless. because he was a medium-built man with brown hair. That's, yeah. He's a white guy with brown, brown hair, hair. White dude. That's <laughs> real helpful. You mean default man? <laughs> yeah. So that's completely unhelpful to the police. So they, even yeah. though he had like, he a, looks like the default protagonist when you start a video game. He's basically the default sim. <laughs> that's that's what he is. He's a default sim, except for the fact that he has a fucked up scar on the side of his head, which will become important. Yeah. Um. So they requested after that that all tips come with photos because. Jesus, people, this is not hard. Mm. They also began just contacting other police departments around the country for help chasing down some of the thousands of leads that they were getting. Like, this was a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. So police announced that there would be a viewing of the body on a Sunday after he died, because, I mean, preservation was yeah. not not so good. And not great. Not He's great. He's going to deteriorate rapidly. He's not going to look so hot. Mm. Um, newspaper reports say that between 50 to 300 people showed up, so... Kind of a big range, guys. Yeah, a bit broad. Newspapers in the day. Who was counting? Yeah, you did not excel at counting. That's not. I don't. How do you look at a crowd and just be like, yeah, that's fifty to three hundred ish? Yeah. Are you Sean Spicer? Like, maybe you shouldn't have sent you know Jimmy Johnson. You know your most concussed, (laughs) your most concussed novice novice reporter. (laughs) He got kicked by a horse, but he still does real good. He tries real hard. God damn. <laughs> so, one of the people who went to the viewing was Robert Lane, which, again, if you remember the previous episode, this was the man who had picked up the underdressed hitchhiker at the beginning of this whole story. Mm. And Lane recognized the man based on the deep scratch on his left arm, but for some reason, police just straight up didn't believe him. They didn't give him any credit. The source that I read came from a librarian in Kansas City who has sort of devoted a lot of time and energy to this case, and he's sort of become an expert on this case. And since it's such an old case, every possible privacy protection has expired on it. So when he Mm -hmm. asked police for the case file, they just handed the whole thing over verbatim. So he got to see the unfiltered police notes. And they, yeah, they just didn't give any credit to the story. They believe that- Okay, so we'll we'll chase down tips from random strangers with vague descriptions of their loved ones. But this dude who claims to have met this guy- Yeah, (laughs) no. And can describe him physically. Nah. Nah. 
Uh, they believe that he did pick up a bleeding, underdressed hitchhiker. That's not the part that they questioned. They just didn't think it was Owen for whatever reason. Huh. The police did figure out that Owen had been seen in, quote, liquor places. I don't know what liquor places are. Bars? Liquor stores? <laughs> was liquor barn around back Speakies? in the day? <laughs> yeah, what is that? Is this, isn't this, is this prohibition? It is prohibition. Yeah. So, I don't know. He was in liquor places. He liquor was, places. He was being scandalous in the company of two Ooh. women. Oh. Women. This was a high-risk lifestyle back in the day. Going to a place where liquor was present with two females was high-risk. Uh, you were living well, on the edge. You almost deserved to get stabbed. <laughs> wow, we went straight to victim-blaming. I mean, with the kind of fellow who is seen in the presence of unaccompanied women... Completely out of the sight of their fathers or husbands, and in the presence of illegal substances, well, well, it's no shock that he got stabbed. Thank you for your opinion, outraged Winston Churchill. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So, eventually somebody remembered that Owen had reported staying at the Hotel Muleback the night before, which was a thing that he had said to the maid, because he Mm. complained that the Hotel Muleback which is just spelt with three globs of phlegm, (sighs) charged him too much. So the police followed up with that hotel, and they quickly discovered that nobody named Roland T. Owen had stayed there, but a man matching his description named Eugene K. Scott had stayed there, Mm. claiming to be from L.A. and had insisted on an interior room several floors up, the same as Roland T. Owen. Interesting. Also highly specific. Yeah, once again, the LAPD had no record of a Eugene K. Scott anywhere in Los Angeles, which pretty much clinched the notion that Roland T. Owen was a fake name. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to use an alias, probably don't use the different one two nights in a row with the same yeah. backstory. You're, you're <laughs> no not kidding. good at this. You're not good <laughs> like, at this. You give them both different names, but you have the... Like, but you tell them that you were there? <laughs> not Yeah, solid. criminal mastermind, he was not. No. So the search for Roland T. Owen's true identity didn't particularly go well in the beginning. The flow of new leads dried up pretty quickly. So a man named Ernest Johnson from Kansas City viewed the body and positively identified him as his cousin, Harvey Johnson. He told his family, and then Ernest's sister came forward and said that their cousin Harvey had died five years earlier. So, <laughs> close family you got there. Apparently the guy was real surprised, real too. Real tight. He was, he was surprised. He was like, oh, shit, Har- cousin Harvey died? Like, <laughs> So they're close. <laughs> cousin, I've got to tell you something. I think Harvey's dead. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. I can only imagine that. Where the that hell con- have you been? <laughs> yeah, that, that must have been quite a conversation. <laughs> At one point, um, a wrestling promoter viewed the body, and he ID'd the man as a wrestler from Omaha named Cecil Werner, which is not a wrestling name. You don't, you don't wrestle <laughs> don't under the... Can, I don't think you can wrestle and be Cecil. I, is think, it, you, is I it, think you gotta change it. <laughs> is it Cecil or Cecil? They're both terrible. Uh, both uh, are legitimate pronunciations. It uh, really depends on, on how, how much, you personally want to pronounce it. How much of a pretentious twat you are. Excuse me, I'm Cecil. <laughs> uh, that was that was the version that I thought was more pretentious. Cecil. Yeah. Cecil. <laughs> Cecil the wrestler. Uh, no. Excuse me, sir, would you like to put up your dukes? I am Cecil. <laughs> 
<laughs> I would watch that. I would watch that. <laughs> that is a wrestling match that's going to last about exactly five seconds. <laughs> Give him the chair. <laughs> would you like a seat, young man? <laughs> to the face. <laughs> I say. <laughs> What a what a time to be alive. <laughs> Briefly, because then you get scarlet fever and die. It's 1935. But what a time to be alive until then. So the police contacted Werner's coach, but he said the man from the photos they sent him had never wrestled for him. Mm. So that was a bit of a dead end. Uh, so eventually the leads kind of died out and the papers announced that Roland T. Owen was to be buried the next day in a pauper's grave in a potter's field. That's what happens when nobody claims you. They just yep. plant you like a tomato. Yep. Here here we plant the indig- indigent dead. Also, like, why are potters owning so much land that they're just willing to let the police fill with corpses? Actually, I know the answer to this. Oh, God, of course you do. <laughs> Funnily enough. Oh, no. Uh, the reason why potters, uh, potter's fields are used uh, as graves is because uh, after a certain amount of clay is taken out, they're no longer useful for digging up more clay, but they're also now useless for agriculture. And yeah. that's the entirety of why. So they can, the, the cities can usually buy them up for very, very cheap for burying uh, Unwanted poor, indigenous dead. dead people that are <laughs> buried on the public purse. How oh, fun. And that's entirely why. Well, this has been a fun history lesson. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Land is, like, such a premium here in Manhattan that I'm pretty sure that, like, when we find unclaimed dead people, we just trebuchet them into the Hudson River. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's official official (laughs) municipal policy. I assume that that's our unwanted dead's burial process. We just launch you. (laughs) We just, we just scavenge your body for anything useful and then just, like, let her rip. Let her rip and just, like, fling you into the sky. (laughs) Into the Hudson. You go. There you go. Get in there. (laughs) Back into the water. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a big island. There's a lot of people on it. (laughs) From whence ye came. (laughs) (laughs) Is that where New York's poor come from? They crawl forth from the river and we just return them to the depths when we're done with them? (laughs) (laughs) It is the sea that gave ye life. It is to the sea for when you, to which you shall return. <laughs> oh, good. Except again, it's the disgusting Hudson that's, River. That's that's how beggars work, right? <laughs> they have a life cycle similar to horseshoe crabs. Thank you, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Unable to tell the poor from a horseshoe crab. And when you flip them over, they can't get back up again. <laughs> and now you're Paul Ryan. <laughs> this is good. This is good. That's so, the importance of a of a robust social safety net, so we can hire people to flip over the homeless <laughs> back on their feet. <laughs> that someone's. I'm gonna block out some time, and I'm gonna tell you what idioms are. <laughs> <laughs> this is it's good gonna be luck. A it's been twenty seven years, and I still don't understand. <laughs> Excellent. So, the funeral home that was holding the body, after the announcement was made that he was going to be buried the next day, the funeral home received a mysterious phone call from a man who would not give his name, but claimed to be Owen's future or would-be brother-in-law, telling them not to bury the body yet because money would be provided for a proper funeral. He also claimed that Owen was the deceased man's real name, which, no, it's not. Mm -mm. Spoiler alert, it's not. 
and then Owen incorrect, but he claimed that Owen had quote gotten into difficulties and that investigators were quote on the wrong track. He instructed them. Sure. Well, I mean, they were, but they never found the right one because this is an unsolved murder. Yeah. But like, this is just like, hello there. I'm a suspicious person. Being suspicious and trying to mislead you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you lots of money. Bye. Mm-hmm. Later. He instructed them to bury him in Memorial Park Cemetery. Quote, then he can be near my sister. Unsure why that matters to the strange man on the phone, but apparently it did. The mm. caller also explained that Roland T. Owen had jilted the woman he was supposed to marry, that the three of them had had a meeting about it at the hotel president, and that, again, quote, because this man's just fun to quote, cheaters usually get what's coming to them before hanging up. <laughs> Why does he want him to be, his corpse to be near his sister if he's intimating he cheated on the woman he was to marry, his sister? <laughs> yeah, I don't... No part of I'm this confused. makes, like, an especially large amount of sense. And also... And then he goes straight up blamey Winston Churchill. I was joking, sir. <laughs> he heavily implies that he beat and stabbed this man to death for cheating on his sister, and that he deserved it, but also I will send you what is the equivalent of thousands of dollars to bury him and make it real nice. Yeah. It doesn't, no. Really put it together. It doesn't really Have make a lovely funeral. A ton mm. of sense. But sure enough, on March 23rd, the funeral home received a special delivery envelope that contained a newspaper racked around, racked around, wrapped around, I don't know, consonants are hard, um, mm. a stack of cash. Enough cash to pay for a funeral service and a decent burial. So the funeral home informed the police that the mystery caller was right, and Owen was buried in Memorial Park Cemetery in Kansas City, just as requested. The only people who attended the funeral were police detectives, who were hoping that the killer would show up, because, I don't know, killers have always been kind of dumb. Yeah, and this one seems pretty stupid. (laughs) It's not bright, but nobody showed up. It was just a sad funeral full of cops. (laughs) Yay. I hope the one who actually met him when he was alive went. Otherwise, that's so sad. Yeah, I think it was just just detectives who met him. I mean, they met him when he was alive, but, like, bleeding. Yeah, I don't know how much he got out of that experience. It wasn't, like, a a strong, like, a a real situation to form a strong strong bond. I don't think they clicked and became, but, I mean, it was a lifelong friend for Owen. (laughs) But... Mm. <laughs> that's that's more of a technicality than a statement on the relationship. Mm. So a bond that will last a lifetime. <laughs> oh, God, or as, the next five minutes, or as both. long as you die immediately. Um. <laughs> so the funeral wasn't really publicized, and the next day, an unidentified woman called the Journal Post, which is another newspaper really original, to say Roland mm. Owen was not buried in the potter's field. Call the undertakers and the florists and you'll learn that Mr. Owen's funeral expenses were paid and that a floral tip tribute was pl- placed on his grave. Holy consonants, Batman. The paper staff asked, like, how the fuck she knew this and mm. what had happened to Owen, and the only thing she would tell them was that, quote, he got into a jam. Which, sure. Okay, what does that have to do with the funeral? <laughs> they don't know, and they don't know how she knew. But sure enough most funerals don't involve any jam that's why you never go to them yeah seems like a real ripoff oh and also because like i have been excluded from funerals due to the fact that i cry too hard oh it's kind of sad but also because you don't go anywhere unless there are sufficient condiments true 
What did you I, once I, take from a party? Was it an entire liter of cream? Uh, no. It was three entire liters of cream. I will thank you very much. Oh, that's right. You're crazier than I thought you were. <laughs> I gave you too much credit and you let me down. And a bag of limes. Not better. Not better. Did you eat the limes? What did you do with them? I ate them and I put them in tea. They were delicious. Well, I'm glad. Albeit they are inferior to lemons. I don't know why they're more expensive. I don't know why anyone wants them. For tequila purposes. Mm, I'm sorry true. to shatter your innocence like this. <laughs> People invite me to a lot of parties with tequila, and then they don't plan for other entertainment, so then I steal their limes. It is my vengeance. Before, like, if you meet new people, you should just point them to the podcast and direct them to listen to all of it before they invite <laughs> you into their home. They need to know... It's like a legal, <laughs> it feels like a legal disclosure, like you are legally obligated to give them the chance to listen to this so mm. that they can know what they're getting into. See, um, the oddest thing about the three liters of cream I stole was that all of them were marked no gluten on the side. And I was so perplexed. You're like, like God. the actual manufacturer had gone out of their way to just say, like, this is gluten free. Yeah, I bought like, a container man, of- Man, I hope so. <laughs> I hope oh, I yeah. haven't been adding extra gluten to my dairy. <laughs> <laughs> I won't stand for it. <laughs> no, it's true. I bought a container of bay leaves that was marked gluten-free, and I was like, I mean, if you use these properly, you don't even eat these. <laughs> if you eat this, you have done this incorrectly. <laughs> I don't think you understand what this is for. <laughs> well, it's it's gluten free. It's like if it's like if you bought like a pair of shoes and they said non-GMO. I'm like, cool. <laughs> this is a fat-free bicycle. <laughs> Good. E excellent. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the, this this textbook contains no peanuts. <laughs> I think you've just cracked the secrets of advertising. <laughs> we're in the wrong business. That's how we're going to advertise this podcast from now on. Non-GMO, mm. gluten-free podcast. <laughs> not fat-free, though. No, definitely not. It's, Never that. And it's certainly a, not fabulous-free. It's it's one-third fat. Third. <laughs> third of it. Um, so... Back to murder. Um, the paper staff investigated this strange woman's claims because they had nothing better to do, apparently, back in the day. And sure enough, the florist had also received money wrapped in a newspaper to pay for the flower arrangement. And apparently it took two tries to get that one. It was $5. $5 bought you a flower arrangement back in the day. Ah. Uh, now it is was, a limb and a the child. same amount as, like, as, like, his Roland T. Owens stay at the president? I think so, yes. Yeah, same amount. This is, this like is why it's hard to scale things up. Yeah. Because the price of flowers and the price of hotel rooms have not increased at comparable no, levels. not proportionable. No, not it's at not all. not proportional. Not mm. at all. So the envelope that delivered the money also contained a card that was supposed to be placed with the flowers, and it read, Love Forever Louise. Who is Louise? We don't fucking know. I have no clue. No, it's another name for Dawn. <laughs> I don't think you understand how nicknames work. <laughs> well, when he's moonlighting, you know, as, so as a floozy, <laughs> Don is a man of many talents, or woman of—I don't, I don't know. 
Dawn is a mysterious creature. There's a reason you're not a detective, and it's this. <laughs> it's this right here. Uh, that, and, that and the multiple psych evaluations. <laughs> that too. Also, you cannot pass the physical. I cannot. If you... I wheeze when I go up the stairs. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, your your lungs and body are not equipped for anything. Yeah, I got winded getting, going, getting into the bath today. <laughs> I felt dizzy. You might be dying. <laughs> it's entirely plausible. <laughs> I'm kind of concerned about you coming to visit me because I live on a fourth floor walk up, so I feel like this will be both the first time I see you in a long time and the last time I ever see you. <laughs> you will die halfway to my apartment. Yeah, I tend to take stairs like I'm scaling Mount Everest, like I go in stages. I set up like I set up a base camp or on, on the on the first <laughs> on the on, on on the first platform. Oh god! <laughs> then, I, then I then I take the second flight in a, in in like slowly over over the course of the morning. <laughs> I will arrange for a Sherpa to meet you at the bottom. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, in a bit of expert policing, the cops disguised themselves as grave diggers and watched his grave for days, thinking that the killer would come to visit, but nobody did. Aww. Aww. Sad. So sad. At this time, the police had kind of run out of ideas. They had no idea who the fuck this guy was. They had no idea who Don or Louise were. They had no idea... Because Owen had repeatedly told the maid during his stay that he was waiting for a friend and to leave the door unlocked. They didn't know who mm-hmm. that friend was, if that friend was Don. They didn't know who the man was who told the maid he- they didn't need any towels. There was, um, if you remember from the previous episode, there was some there was a prostitute who was in and around the hotel, or some elaborate lady of the night. A woman who was a commercial woman, I believe was the preferred terminology. She provided services and very few goods. Yeah, she had been in his room or in the vicinity of his room that night, and she had left and returned with a man. Was that Dawn? Was she Louise? Who the fuck are any of these people? Yeah, why do they keep contacting people? Why did they pay for the funeral? What the hell is going on? No, we don't know, and you're not getting any answers. We don't. Nope. I, I have none to give you, so... Sorry. You, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. Um, in May of that We're year... We're all equals in ignorance. Hooray. It's kind of sad. A man's murder has gone unsolved for almost 100 years, but, you know... Yeah. Entertainment. It, at least it makes us... It gives us a warm, egalitarian feeling of confusion. Yay, we all know nothing. Woo! Yeah, I don't think there's holdback information at this point in the case because it would have been in the cold case file. And really, what are we going to do with that at this not. point? <laughs> no, but we do know who he is. So in May of that year, the American Weekly magazine, what a name, the American mm. Weekly magazine. That's a description, but sure. They ran uh. they ran a feature called The Mystery of Room 10... Tw- I wrote down 1026. It's 1046. It's 1046. I'm not good at this. The it's... the 1026 was the room that the prostitute thought she was going to. That's but right. Then no one answered. Well, I fucked it up. I have a really good memory. You're good my, at this. M- my attentiveness to details is just sharp. <laughs> I'm You're... impressed with me. <laughs> All right. Now, before you start library masturbating, let's continue. <laughs> uh, so George. The... <laughs> the 
The feature was called The Mystery of Room 1046, and it contained a sensationalized account of the murder, because they gotta sell magazines. Yeah, we gotta we gotta keep in business, kid. Aw, uh, back when you could still make a living in print media. What a time. Ah, uh, what a time. So, for a year and a half after this issue came out, nothing really came of it. And then in the fall of 1936, a woman read the issue of American Weekly magazine and thought she recognized the man as her friend's missing son. And being a good friend, she forwarded the magazine on to... Ruby Ogletree, her friend, and her daughter Eleanor Ogletree. What a name. And what a name. Ogletree. That's not a last name you Ogletree. hear. Ogletree. Ever. <laughs> Ogletree. Ruby- that's the kind of name where you take your wife's name. <laughs> I assume, yeah, that's that's a lineage you just let die. Mm. Quietly. Tragic, we have no sons to carry on the name. Timmy being like, wait a second, why are you putting me in a dress? <laughs> It's for the best, son. There should be no more uncle trees. <laughs> You're gonna make a great wife someday, son. <laughs> oh, God. Samantha. We, we used to be able to abuse children in much more creative ways than we can now. And no one would stop you. Just no one. <laughs> oh, God. So... Ruby and Eleanor Ogletree, when they weren't actively forcing the family line to die out, were able to make a positive identification. The dead man was, in fact, their son-slash-brother, Artemis Ogletree, who had disappeared from Birmingham, Oof. Alabama. That's a name. That's that a is name. a name. That he went by Roland Owen. If you're Ruby Ogletree, at least you got something going for you. If you're Artemis Ogletree. Artemis Ogletree, honest to God, is the dead man's real name. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I, th I think my theory is correct. They were just actively trying to prevent any woman from ever breeding with him. <laughs> I kind of understand why he went by an alias. I don't even know if he was trying to conceal his identity or if he just didn't yeah, want to admit- Maybe he was just embarrassed. <laughs> his real name was Artemis Ogletree. Yeah, maybe he was just tired of that conversation in every hotel. <laughs> like, yes, it's my real fucking- Maybe they just didn't believe him. They're like, no, that's that's a fake name, son. You gotta no, tell, tell us your me real your name. real name. Yeah. It's fine, it's Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> just leave me alone, God. Um, Give me an interior room. <laughs> Get out, you're not my real dad. I didn't realize that we were solving the murder of Napoleon Dynamite, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Artemis Ogletree had disappeared from Birmingham, Alabama in... exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah. He disappeared in April of 1934, saying that he wanted to see the world. So this was, again, this is a very 1934 thing. It wasn't like he was walking to school and just sort of never came home. He was just like, I'm leaving! And then he did, and they had no idea where the fuck he went. He wanted to see the world and he went to Missouri? <laughs> yeah, so he wasn't really good at a lot of things, is what yeah. we can... He wasn't really good at having owning a toothbrush or having an alias or or locking the door travel just there was just a lot of things he wasn't not exceptionally getting stabbed good at. no no. Mm. no artemis artemis had some some flaws so ruby was able to Shoot. yep he also wasn't really good at having a full head of hair Ruby was able to correctly identify him. The reason that we know that this is the correct match is because um, she was able to identify that he had a large scar under his hairline and describe it. And she said <laughs> that this was a, from a childhood accident involving hot grease. So, <laughs> st stellar parenting there, Ruby. Wow, that is that is such a 1930s problem. He just keeps dipping his head in the grease. What am I supposed to do? This is like how my mom has, like, one pinky finger that is shorter than the other one because she was making a turkey sandwich and things got crazy when she was, like, a child. What? <laughs> what? 
my mother has one pinky finger. No, I that heard she cut you so deeply. This, what the fuck? as a child <laughs> that it never grew after that point. So it's the same length it was when she was it when she when it when it she first cut it. Well, that's fun. God, we used to have we used to give children sharp knives. And we had no medical care to deal with the aftermath. Yeah, she also has shrapnel wounds. What? Your My mother, mother is grand- has shrapnel wounds. You keep repeating this like the issue is me hearing it, <laughs> when really the issue is me not understanding how your family exists. <laughs> she this got is- it in a hunting accident. <laughs> This is not doing anything to dispel my theory that you were, in fact, raised by wolves. <laughs> like, I think the hunting accident was not your mother hunting. I think your mother was a wolf who was shot. We are a family of alien werewolves, yes. <laughs> I knew it. I goddamn knew it. No, I don't. I've, I have no fun childhood mangling. I don't know. I have actually, I have a, I have a scar under my hairline, which I got from getting hit by a, a rock a kid threw at me. Oh, uh, that concussed me during a cattle auction. Okay, the con- okay the <laughs> what? Uh, the, con- the concussion. I got a concussion. Makes a lot of a cattle sense. auction. Why were you in a cattle auction? I don't know. Someone was buying cows. We weren't buying cows though. I yeah, just a fun. Family outing to a cattle auction we're not going to buy any cows at. I see. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Stellar. Yeah, yeah, the hair never grew back, and I spent the next several hours eating popsicles. <laughs> Best cure for a concussion there is. Just freeze the fuck out of your brain. And I kept getting confused every time the popsicle was gone, so I just, like, stare sadly at the popsicle stick until my younger sister got me a new one. <laughs> I think you could pull that trick today. I think you staring sadly at an empty popsicle stick would also continue to work. <laughs> it certainly wouldn't hurt. I think I could incite sympathy. Awesome. I got a lot of concussions growing up. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. No. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff you say that gives me pause, but the I have had repeated closed head injuries? No, that one, <laughs> that one I get. That one makes a lot of sense. I got to the point where I could tell exactly where I'd been hit by my symptoms. <laughs> oh, good. Good. There is nowhere that you can hit your brain that will compel you to steal three liters of cream from a party, but you know. Science. That, that's on me. That's science on me. is advancing all the time. I'm sure we'll find it. We'll find the spot. So good. So in early descriptions of Artemis Ogletree or Roland T. Owen, he had been consistently given an age of... 25 to 35 but contrary to others impressions artemis was only 17 years old when he died Mm. so this was a kid yeah having seen pictures of him that doesn't surprise me no i've if you look up pictures of artemis ogletree now it's sort of like yeah it's a dumb kid who doesn't really Mm -hmm. have much of a chin but it's not a very flattering drawing no they've sort of made him look like a background character and like dreary little tales of dick and jane or whatever the fuck it's called yeah. it, he looks like he looks like someone on the cover of a nancy drew novel he does it's not a good it's not a good likeness i can understand why it took two years to identify him yeah. contrary to like what you may think the fact that it took ruby so long to find her son she was actively looking for him the entire time he was gone she had exchanged letters with president j edgar hoover because you could just write the president back then and he would write oh, back absolutely 
Um, and she had <laughs> just ex- anybody could call him up. Yeah, so she had exchanged letters with foreign U.S. consulates in order to find her son, which is a thing that will make sense. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it. When they found Ruby Ogletree and they finally got a positive identification, it didn't actually end the weirdness of this case. It just got weirder. Because Ruby Ogletree had heard from her deceased son since his murder. Which, if you know anything about science, dead people aren't good at typing. Yes. Uh, that is that is that is my understanding. Like, science I won't is pretty claim confident to be on that. a scientist no. or to do the science, but I'm under the impression that most dead people they're not the best at returning correspondence. No, we do know that science is, is advancing new things all the time, but we we felt confident about that even in 1935. Mm, that was a settled issue. Yeah. So she received three short typed letters from Artemis, or allegedly from Artemis, in the spring of 1935 when he was already dead. So we're going to rule out that his dead little fingers did the typing. Mm. These letters immediately made her suspicious. We're going to set that aside. Yeah, I'm not a forensic scientist, but... Aren't you? No. Forensic... Right. Psychologist. You're a forensic psychologist. You're a well, forensic social scientist. I'm in. I'm ah. in school to be a forensic psychologist. I am not yet a forensic psychologist. Please, for the love of God, do not try to take advice from me. <laughs> My only advice is going to be: please, please talk to a real psychologist. I will ruin you. I'm like, I know what bones look like. Please That's... seek therapy elsewhere. <laughs> Wait, I know what bones look like? I mean, I do, but that's not for forensic psychology reasons. That's mm, that's for the thing that we did three summers ago. No, I'm kidding. It's it's because I worked in a human remains lab. Um, <laughs> and also because I've buried several hitchhikers in the woods. <laughs> it's both. I, it's, it's both. It's like, both. It's both. One, these are one feeds generalizable skills. <laughs> it's, it's good. You need to, sometimes you just need to, you need to know how to deal with a human femur. Mm. So... When Ruby Ogletree got the letters in the spring of 1935, she was immediately suspicious because apparently Artemis didn't know how to type. Apparently that was a rare skill back in the day. <laughs> it doesn't- She's it's, like, hmm, this can't be from my illiterate idiot son. <laughs> like, typing seems fairly intuitive. You touch the key with the E on it and it makes an E. I don't- Maybe, if maybe no- this was the equivalent of, like, people not knowing how computers work. Do you sit down at a keyboard like a typewriter just like, oh god, what is this newfangled thing? What do I do? Do I hit it with my face? <laughs> I don't know. You, 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 you take one go at it and then like you got get your tie caught in it and it's like, oh no! I shall, I am doomed, trapped by my own folly. <laughs> I ha- Do you have to submerge it in water? Do you have to use it in a moving vehicle? I, I'm just stumped. Handwriting it I'm is. baffled. But apparently he didn't know how to type and he she felt her son was too dumb to figure out a typewriter. Mm. I mean, and he was dead, so it wasn't him. Yeah. <laughs> <I've>... <laughs> she was right to be suspicious, no matter how strange your reasons may seem. Right. I've never actually found any source that revealed, an ex- I've never found exact copies of the letters or what was in them, but the final letter stated that he was sailing off to Europe. Oh, did it? Yeah. Interesting. He was going on an adventure. So, Considering he was buried in Missouri. Yeah, less less glamorous than Europe. Mm. Oh. Not quite the same star power. No. Not the, quite the same romance. <laughs> so, several months after the final letter arrived, the family actually got a phone call from a man who identified himself as Jordan, who claimed that Artemis had somehow saved his life. He didn't really go into detail on this. 
He claimed that Artemis had gone to Cairo and married a woman there, which was why Ruby had been writing to the U.S. consulate in Egypt. Jordan seems like he's full of shit. Mm. And might own a typewriter. A little bit. A little bit. Mm. Does he also pay for flowers? (laughs) We'll never know. So... The, the final question that this all comes down to is what the hell happened to Artemis Ogletree? Which is the name of my notes, but I couldn't open with that because that would have been a big spoiler. Spoiler alert! Because I would have talked about Roland T. Hey. Owen and you would have been completely confused and you would have deleted this podcast from your phone and it, it would have been bad. You would have tossed that phone into the sea and you would have cursed the day you ever heard the names Jessica Pigeot and Janelle Como. <laughs> yeah, something like that. You'd, you'd mm. rail at an indifferent god. It would just... It would... It would be bad. It would shake your faith. <laughs> Turn <laughs> you against the world. <laughs> There's just a bunch of, like, lone <laughs> lone wolf types. Oh, <laughs> no, that that's doesn't mean what it used to mean. That used to mean, like, to somebody who, who uh, hated the world and made it on their own, but now it means someone who shoots up a shopping mall. <laughs> so, you know it what now I mean. Means, it now means, like, like Disillusioned like white man isolate. opening fire in a movie theater. Yeah, it means something different now. Yeah, that's changed. So mm. we would just we would create just a just a bunch of bitter old people wandering the country by themselves looking for yeah. meaning. Hermits and people wandering the earth. So we didn't do that. Um, no. But what it ultimately comes down to, you dear people. Oh God, it's all for you. All for you. Somebody all for you and the transit authority. I'm gonna get a child leash for when you come to visit me <laughs> because you can't hug a train and live. That's not it's not a thing you can do. You can hug a train or you can live. That's an or, not an and. I guess I'll save it. I'll put it at the bottom of my bucket list. Oh, good. Good, good. But it's on there. It is on there. Good. Um, <laughs> so, somebody, probably multiple somebodies, knew what happened to Artemis Ogletree. Like, Mm -hmm. there was... This wasn't, you know... People knew what happened. Yes. Unfortunately, those people are probably all dead now. Because this was 1935. (laughs) Artemis Ogletree would have been dead one way or the other now. The answer could... Is probably still out there somewhere. Passed down as some sort of family legend, though. Like, there's... It's not completely hopeless that this case will never be solved. In 2003, Mm -hmm. the Kansas City Library received a mysterious phone call. This is the theme. There's a lot of mysterious phone calls. Just bear with me. They received a phone call from someone who would not give their identity, but said that they were calling from out of state. The caller explained that they had been itemizing the personal effects of a deceased elderly person, and they came across a box of newspaper clippings about the case. They also said that the box contained something very important to the case that had been mentioned in the newspapers, but they would not reveal what it was. Damn it! I know. Stop being so mysterious. I know. I like I to think that it's. Know. I like to think that it's like the son of Don. Just, just <laughs> son of Don. Being Don a dick. Too. Don too. <laughs> being a dick. The Don jeans are strong with this one. <laughs> oh, God. Being an unreasonable dickhole about about sensitive information that no longer matters. <laughs> Da-da-da! Yeah, Marvel didn't pick up being on that one. Being unreasonably mysterious. <laughs> yeah, this whole thing is just people being unreasonably mysterious, and it's continued all the way up to 2003. So, it's entirely, like, we know that there's other clues out there that could I mean, who the fuck has this important piece of information or this important artifact from the case just chilling in the attic? Mm-hmm. 
Because someone does. <laughs> somebody does. So there's there's information out there. Someone knows something. It's just a matter of somebody coming forward with the information. So this case could never be solved. This case could be solved tomorrow. We don't. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Um, we know that someone knows something, but we don't know exactly what that is, which makes the known unknowns difficult to quantify. Thank you, philosopher Pijo. You're welcome. It's good. Also, I think I might have been quoting some U.S. war criminal. <laughs> oh, that's that's my favorite source of wisdom. I just don't really wisdom. remember. <laughs> awesome. It might be Rumsfeld. <laughs> awesome. The one thing that we do know is that with every passing year that we don't get an answer, the hope of this case being solved goes down. Dwindles. Yeah. So this was probably an easily solvable homicide with today's forensics, but at the mm-hmm. time, there just wasn't much we could do. Like I mentioned, they had barely figured out that you couldn't just plug blood into anyone you wanted, let alone DNA. That was just above and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, they They didn't clean up crime scenes back then the way that they do now. Yeah, like, never mind the fact that the hotel these days would have had cameras. And better records, because we know that somebody was in and out of the room constantly, and we know that somebody removed, like, somebody had to, I assume, go down the elevator and out the lobby carrying, like, everything Artemis Ogletree owned. Mm Mm-hmm. Several towels and his outfits. And that's, you know. Yeah. It would attract attention. That is going to attract attention. You are going to become a person of interest very quickly. Right. So, unfortunately, there's just... We don't have the forensic evidence. The only way that this is getting solved now is basically if we find some diary or something in somebody's possession. That's pretty much all we've got left. Yeah. If somebody who knows or has the artifacts or leftover belongings of whoever the man and woman mentioned in the argument, like, in the overheard argument, if somebody has their items, and those items somehow reference the connection to the case. That's basically what we're waiting on. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, we know for a fact that Artemis was probably young and foolish. He was 17, that just kind of comes with the territory. We know that he, he also had... seems to have been a bit of a tool. <laughs> I mean, who's not? But he had he had At some 17, kind of yeah. He had some kind of passion for adventure. He left home to see the world. And it's not hard to imagine that he got himself mixed up in something that was way out of his depth because again, teenagers are not good at things. Yeah, especially the kind of teenager who leaves to go to a dis- like to a city, uh starts going to speakeasies which are illegal. Uh, and hanging out with strangers. That's oh, yeah. probably not somebody... It's a dangerous situation, regardless of where or when. But particularly so when you don't have the ability to contact your family. Oh, God, like, I, at 17, I had blue hair, and I thought that sourpuss was a thing you, that you should drink straight from the bottle. So, yeah, had I ever gotten out of contact with my family, I would have just died, because I was bad mm-hmm. at everything. I thought that skate shoes were a good idea. Those one, the big wide ones that you didn't lace up on purpose. <laughs> oh, I had some, I had some ideas back then. Yeah, mm. I, I, at seventeen, I didn't have a curfew because I was never out past nine. <laughs> oh, now it's sad. Now it's sad. 
But seriously, though, like, if I had ever lost contact with my family, I would have immediately died. <laughs> <laughs> Grocery stores were beyond me. I just couldn't, yeah. I couldn't feed myself. It was... I am still, like, somewhat dependent on the kindness of my family for survival. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting my hopes up. I don't feel that strongly about 17-year-old Jessica's odds. No, I don't feel good. I would... Like, just somebody would look at me wrong, and then I would just, my entire universe would just turn inside out, and I, nothing would make it better until I'd listen to, like, six consecutive hours of Linkin Park. So I was <laughs> I was not prepared for the emotional complexities of the world outside my suburb. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would just come home and be like, my friend wore the same shoes as me today. If anyone needs me, I will be listening to a four-hour marathon of crawling on repeat. That's it. That's all, that's all the thing that's going to ease the pain. Yeah, teenage you and me were prepared to deal with public masturbators, and that was basically it. That was all I could do. That was my only skill. Mm. Address public masturbation, calculus. That's all I had. (laughs) (laughs) I have many skills. They include telling dementia dementia, dementia patients off for undressing, and, uh, and, uh... Work working a toaster. (laughs) I can apply manic panic dye like a champion. Oh man. I only dye my forehead a little bit. <laughs> I knew what I was about. I need to I know how to hold still for long enough to attract squirrels. It's great. <laughs> we yeah, had that, very different childhoods. <laughs> I mean that pretty much describes my dating prowess in high school. I can hold still long enough to attract a squirrel. <laughs> Same thing really. Um <laughs> Oh my god. So back to Artemis, who was getting murdered at 17. Um, <laughs> the prevailing theory is obviously that uh, this was a love affair gone wrong. Solid mm. detective work on my part, but th- this was some kind of love triangle that he got himself mixed up in a love triangle or a love affair and somebody's somebody's overprotective brother just didn't like it. Yeah, got a little aggressive. How on earth he managed to get into that Took situation? Exception. Because it... it it doesn't really explain why he was staying in interior hotel rooms under fake names several floors up, why he was changing hotel rooms every couple of days, or why he was traveling- why he was sitting in the dark? Yeah, why he was traveling with absolutely no luggage, who the fuck Dawn was, it doesn't- I mean, why it doesn't- going under a false name? Yeah, knowing that he was probably caught up in some kind of love triangle doesn't really give us a lot of answers. Um, Although knowing that he's 17 does explain why he's acting like an absolute weirdo. <laughs> that is true. This is, there's like, I'm being secretive and staying away from windows. <laughs> okay there, buddy. <laughs> it's because hormones are hitting his brain like a greased-up wrecking ball. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You're just you're you're going along, you're a child, you know, you like you like child things, you like your friends, you like playing tag, and then all of a sudden just hormones hit you and you just you have acne and you have hair and you just wanna hump everything. That's you just you don't know what to do. You had a very different teenage experience than I did. I'm not saying that was my teenage experience. I'm saying that is like a teenage boy experience. That is the teenage experience. You just you have We you, were we were lost exceptions. You wanna grow a patchy mustache and rub your crotch on the couch. <laughs> that's that's puberty. It's a lot like being a shih tzu. <laughs> it's pretty much the same experience. There's also the question of like who the fuck did Artemis Ogletree get involved with that they would just sort of casually murder someone in a hotel room? Yeah. Like, you know, there's there's love affairs gone wrong. That's a thing. 
maybe they'll challenge you. I don't know if people are still dueling in 1935, but obviously it's not great to cheat on somebody, but, like, there's... Even in 1935, there's not many people you can cheat on that will then casually torture and stab you to death. Like, no! Artemis Ogletree few. wasn't just murdered, he wasn't shot, he wasn't just... His no, he was tortured. He was tortured. Brutalized. Absolutely. So, like, who the fuck are you involved with that they're just going to casually do this to you in a hotel room and then take all of your pants? <laughs> yeah, like, it's... The kinds of people who have the stomach for this kind of violence are few and far between. Even in Lead City... God, yeah. Just eating a hearty breakfast of lead will not do wonders for your capacity for empathy. But um, there's also the question of, like, whoever murdered Artemis Ogletree knew him well enough to contact his mother. Mm -hmm. So they knew his real name because he was traveling under a variety of colorful fake names. And he was claiming that he was from Los Angeles when he was from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So whoever the accent would have given him away. I don't. Maybe they just all had your weird nineteen thirty five Winston Churchill accent. <laughs> Everybody from the nineteen thirties sounds like my Churchill impression. Everybody does. <laughs> Women, men, babies. You know, goodness gracious, mother, uh, could you pass me the bottle? <laughs> I have a powerful thirst. <laughs> That's infancy in nineteen thirty five. So yeah. So whoever whoever disposed of him and a lager for after. <laughs> oh my god, cigarettes. <laughs> I desire cigarettes. Could I have a c- cigar, mama? Wah, <laughs> wah. <laughs> <laughs> but whoever whoever killed him knew him well enough to contact his family by both letter and by phone. So they, they yeah. knew where... They knew the, their address, or they knew at the, least how to find it. They knew his family, they knew where they were, um, and they knew enough to give her a plausible story, sort of, that he had sailed off to Europe, because they knew that he was traveling... Just for the sake of traveling. I don't know how the fuck he was bankrolling this, but he was mm. traveling for the sake of traveling. So, um, somebody knew something. This this wasn't a stranger. No, this was somebody with some conception of who this kid was who knew his name. There is a solution to this, but at this point it is so cloaked in mystery and dead people that our chances of getting a coherent answer are, are growing slimmer by the moment. And they are already... Quite slender. I like to believe that, like, that uh, this was all a great coincidence that Artemis Ogletree, that the man that they found just happened to have the same scar as Artemis Ogletree, but the real Artemis Ogletree really did go to Europe and save a man's life and get married in Cairo. I mean, that's a happier story. <laughs> no, not really, because there's still some poor bastard dead and tied up in a hotel room. <laughs> Sort of unavoidable. It doesn't actually make it but less like, tragic. At least, like at least in that world, there is somebody who had a happy ending. Yeah, somebody got e- to go get married in Cairo. That's kind of a fun mm. thing to do. It's a fun it- weekend. <laughs> in, 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 the, in the first story, where like somebody lied, and like poor Artemis Ogletree got tortured and murdered in a hotel room, there is one person who had a horrific ending. Uh, in the story where somebody got to go to Cairo and got married, and somebody else got murdered in a hotel room. Only 50% as, <laughs> of the people involved got murdered in a hotel room. Oh, good. <laughs> so a, a wrong and a right make nothing. Mm, statistically, it's better. <laughs> the universe plods on. Awesome. Well, that is literally all of the information available on the Artemis Ogletree case, save for, I don't know, you can, um, if you're interested in the case, you can find some real weird shit on Reddit, and you can 
go straight down this rabbit hole, but this is an overview of pretty much all the available information. Um, yeah, this is a murder that will we may never solve. Sweet. But if we do, well, that's another hour's worth. Hooray! <laughs> uh, sweet dreams. <laughs> Nighty night. Well, I mean, unless you're listening to this in the afternoon, you don't have to immediately shut this off and go to bed. I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you what to if, do. If it's your morning commute, like, just immediately... Turn around and go go home. This is too Turn much. Turn around and go home. Or if you're on the bus, just, like, lay it, lay yourself out on the uh, in the middle of the of the aisle and just pass out. <laughs> Take life advice from us. That's what this is. This is a murder, <laughs> true crime history, and life podcast. Go to a catalog. Get a concussion. Live a little. <laughs> Steal some cream. Steal some cream. Take and your pants rhymes. off at the library. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> what a life. Before you before you get murdered. You never Jack know. At the computers. <laughs> you never know when you're gonna get murdered in a hotel room. So live life so- to the, the lime stealing fullest. <laughs> <laughs> Take that bull by the horns. Shortly after getting hit by a rock. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I think we've all learned some valuable stuff here today. Mm. Don't go to hotels. Don't ask for interior rooms. That's. I'm glad that's what you've learned. Don't get stabbed. That's an important one. Mm. I'm, I'm glad that In you internalized that lesson. <laughs> I've I've taken it wholeheartedly. Excellent. In any case, I'm Jessica. I'm still Janelle. Look at that. And we are fat, French, French and, and fabulous. fabulous. And we're still bad at signing off. You're bad at signing off. No, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and once again thank you for sitting through the podcast this was a long one this was almost an hour and a half so if you made it through the whole thing thank you you've either got a really long commute or you have a really long attention span either way we're thrilled we'd also like to thank those people who've reached out to us over the last two weeks we've heard from a lot of people that we didn't know existed and people we weren't completely certain weren't spyware so we're really glad to hear that you are real and that you are listening So if you're out there and you'd like to drop us a line at any time, we are always down to hear it. We'd also love it if you guys could leave us some reviews. Reviews really help people find the podcast. They help us feel better about ourselves. Um, Unless you hate us, but so far we've been lucky. So if you like us and you've got some spare time on your hands, we would always welcome a review. You can review us on iTunes or wherever else you like to habitually review your podcast. It's your life. I can't tell you what to do. If you want to follow us, follow us on social media, you can find us a couple places. You can find us on Facebook at Fat French and Fabulous. You can find us on Twitter at Fat French Fab. And if you want to stalk us individually, that's also an option on Twitter. You can find me at Very Bad Llama. You can find Jessica at I Am Not a Lungfish because she continues to not be a lungfish. So we post updates. Sometimes we just post jokes. You can go find us on there. And I think that's all the updates that I've got for this week. We'll be back next time with another exciting podcast topic. We'll see you then.